You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Emil, are you rolling? I'm rolling. I'll hear you rolling. I am rolling now. Welcome once again to 32 Thoughts, the podcast. We are kind of back. And by us, we mean the, your favorite law firm of Merrick Friedman and Delich. Uh, welcome once again to the podcast. Before we get into talking about the Jake Sanderson contract, and we'll talk about Quinn Hughes, and maybe you heard about Bruce Boudreau to the OHL and Morgan Frost, etc. Um, you will hear, by the way, from Tim Stutzla. You will hear from JJ Paterka. You will hear from Alexander Barkov. You will hear from Pierre Engvall. Those were four of the many interviews we did in Stockholm at the European NHL Players Tour. But before we get to all of that, Elliot, I'm going to have to wonder here. We're recording this podcast, middle of the afternoon, Thursday, September 7th. Where's trade talk at? People are starting to get a little frisky about trades. We want some trade catnip here. What's going on? All right, Jeff. So there is some. Everybody had their chance to refresh, restart, uh, recharge their batteries, the three re's, as we all call them. But some people have told me that they've started to hear some things pick up. And where it seems to be happening is in cases where teams have too many players, too many centers, although I don't know if you can, too many wingers, or you're really tight to the cap and you're re- and you're trying to see if you can figure out if there's a move you can make. I just heard the talk has been picking up. And, mm-hmm. you know, the coaches and GMs are going to be meeting in Chicago on Friday, a new mandatory thing uh, with the league. And so I think that there is a chance that there could be some more conversations there. Like some of the things I'm hearing about a little bit, one is Ottawa. You know, they've got to get Shane Pinto signed. And they've got not enough room there. And I think the senators have looked around to see what they could do to open up some space. Another one some people are kind of wondering about a bit is Vancouver. I mean, it's good news to see Tanner Pearson skating and back because great news. You know, last year there was a real fear that his career was going to be over after the wrist surgeries and some of the issues that popped up there. But if Pearson is healthy enough to play, and I, I really hope he is for a lot of different reasons then you know the Canucks have a lot of wingers and it's another cap thing that they have to deal with so I think there's a few teams like that and all you have to do is just look and see okay who's got too many players at a certain position or who's really tight to the cap and I think they're starting to look around and see okay what are our options 
out there? What are the possibilities out there? Okay, I want to circle back to something you dropped in there, which is this uh, this new mandatory coaches and GMs getting together before the uh, the season begins, before training camps open here. But yeah. before we get there, I think a lot of us expected this was going to be the summer of Craig Conroy and Kevin Chevel day off. Mm-hmm. This was going to be the big summer where the Calgary Flames did a lot of business. They did some with Tyler Toffoli. Yegor Sharangovich comes in. But we thought there were going to be, once again, big things coming from the Winnipeg Jets. Now, we don't need to go back over the Pierre-Luc Dubois situation. So there was something from Winnipeg. Yep. But we expected more. Maybe Shifley, maybe Connor Hallibuck. Is there any uh, fire, smoke, anything with these two Canadian teams? The one thing I've heard interesting about Hellebuck is I've heard that there's going to be a conversation between Hellebuck and the Jets whenever he gets there. And the one thing somebody told me is as the summer has progressed, there seems to be some thought that it's not impossible Hellebuck could stay there. And, you know, I don't want people to get carried away too late, probably. (laughs) You know, I I don't want people to go on absurd social media runs with this, which we all know is going to happen anyway. You can't put it. You cannot put that. You cannot do that. You cannot put that out. It's like there's a great line. There's a a college (laughs) basketball coach. His name was Abe Lemons. He said, never tell people not to think about something because they'll think about it. And the people were like, what do you mean? He says, don't think about a brown cow. What are you all thinking about now? You're all thinking about a brown cow. Yeah, of course. Anyway. Pink elephant. You know, I don't want to say anything with any finality there, but I do think there's going to be a conversation there about, okay, now that it's been a few months and everybody's had a summer to think about things, you know, where are we and what is everybody thinking? And I've just been told that the word on Hellebuck is he has an open mind and he's prepared to just listen to what they're thinking. Mm. Like, I will tell you this. I had a player and he was a Jet. He's not a Jet anymore. Dustin Bufflin. (laughs) I like when you play my guessing game against me. I can assure you the answer is not (laughs) Dustin Bufflin. I don't know the last time that guy returned a phone call. (laughs) And what this player told me is he said, and he's an interesting guy because he he says, look, I, I recognize that teams can't tell you everything. And, you know, there are things that teams feel and say about players that they've got to keep to themselves. But he said if there was one thing he would change about the Jets, it's for their key players or their players who are coming to the ends of their contracts he wishes that the Jets gave them more information about what they were thinking. Mm. The Jets are really quiet about things. Now, some teams, they go to their star players and they say, or their cornerstone players or their leadership group and say, look, we're thinking about doing this. They don't give them a lot of information, but there are times they will go there and give them information. What this player said to me is the Jets are really quiet about that stuff. And he thinks that when it comes to players like Hellebuck and Shifley and some of the other players there, they really feel that they don't get a lot of information about what the organization is thinking or what, you know, the plans are to make things better. Right. And it doesn't mean that the Jets are a bad organization. I want to be really careful about that. It's just that they're really secretive and the players – 
have indicated they wish they let them in on a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So I've heard that Hellebuck has not closed the door on the Jets. Now, you still have to have a negotiation. He still has to be uh, willing to be happy with what their plans are at some point. But I just had a couple guys say to me, don't assume anything yet here. Hmm. Shifley, I don't know. I'm not as sure about that one. Again, you know, the one thing I would just say about Shifley is I think the Jets know internally that centers are hard to find. They thought and they hoped that Shifley and Dubois would be their center duo for a long time. Oh, yeah. Dubois is gone. And I think this is a very fair question for the organization to ask. I have heard that they have kind of indicated if they go from Dubois and Shifley to no Dubois and Shifley, they better make sure if they're making that trade, they get a replacement. So, you know, that's I think that's a very fair thing for them to think of. Mm-hmm. And Calgary, I mean, it's been quiet. We know they made the deal, as you said, with Toffoli. Hannafin has indicated he's not going to resign. The Flames fans are well aware of what Lindholm said, which is that he's willing to stay. I think that's important. But I think this is going to be a number that is going to have to be somewhere between 8, 5, and 9. But you know what? I'll tell you this. You know what I feel very strongly about here with the Flames? Hmm. Someone made a good point to me. Jonathan Huberto's extension kicks in this year. 10.5. If you're trading Elias Lindholm, what is the plan that makes Huberto better? Yep. I thought that was a great question. I agree. If I'm the Calgary, listen, I think the Calgary Flames might be one of, and maybe are, well, certainly for me, the most interesting team heading into this season. Because to me, they're the ultimate wild card, specifically in the West. Because I don't think they're as bad as we saw last season. There's new management. There's new coaching. There's uh, at least one new player. Uh, there'll be some players coming up from the American Hockey League as well. And we all wonder about, you know, the Dustin Wolfs uh, of the world. And we, you know, seem curious what Matthew Coronado is going to look like at the NHL level here. And more Jacob Pelche. Thank you very much. To me, they're a fascinating team. And the one player who had a tough season last year, you spent time with him in Sweden that I'm really curious about is Jacob Markstrom, who with a good season can turn this all around in Calgary. There's a really good team there for each. And I think they feel that way. I think the question is, how do you optimize it? And I thought that was a great point that someone made to me about Huberto. You can look at it in a vacuum and say, argue the value of Lynn Holmes' eight-year deal and let's say it's eight times 8.75 let's or eight times nine. You can argue the merits of that contract for Lindholm, but I think the way you have to look at it is what are the merits of that contract, not only for Lindholm, but for Huberto? Mm-hmm. Does Lindholm sign for eight more years, put Huberto in a situation to be better and to get back to who he was? I think there's a very good argument to be made for that. And it's like we said about Shifley, Jeff. If it's not going to be Lindholm, well, show me what the plan is to help Huberto. Okay. um, Back to this idea of the, uh, well, not an idea. It's a thing. It's happening. It's happening on Friday in Chicago. The coaches and the general managers getting together. This is mandatory as we understand. Uh, New NHL initiative. What's going on here? 
Well, Eric Engels will be covering this uh, for us. So my condolences to all the people in attendance. But uh, Eric will be going down. And, you know, I, I heard initially when it came up, like some coaches and GMs are like, this is a really bad time. But the league said, we don't care. Uh, we want to do this. You know, one of the things that I think some of the coaches were kind of laughing about, they think that they're going to get scolded about the way they talk to referees and and the way they yell at officials. But I also think there is going to be an overarching thing about, okay, this is how we want business to be conducted. And I wouldn't be surprised if on some level there are conversations about, you know, what is acceptable in a dressing room, what is not acceptable in a, in a dressing room. If things go wrong or something happens that shouldn't happen, this is what your responsibilities are. You know, I, I think there's going to be obvious things about this is what we feel are important calls this year. Like, is there going to be a particular emphasis on something like it's been on slashing or cross-checking or anything like that? Uh, like I said, conduct about talking with officials. But I've also heard there are going to be conversations about, you know, just what is acceptable inside a dressing room. And if something isn't, this is how we want you to deal with it. You know, in this day and age, things get out, Jeff. Oh, yeah. Um, there are very few secrets anymore. And it used to be in a lot of places you could do something and maybe that wasn't, and I'm not just saying, I'm not saying the coaches are bad people, uh, you know, just there are differences now. In every generation, it changes what is acceptable in a dressing room and what isn't. And the difference now is more of the disagreements, no matter which side you're on in those disagreements, they get out there and they become things that people have to deal with. The time this used to be private, that's not the case anymore. This is the public generation. So I think the league is going to go out of their way to make sure that the coaches are aware of that. And if something happens in the dressing room that needs to be dealt with or reported, this is how we want it done. Excellent. Okay, let's get to the big story of the day. And this one's a whopper. It's Jake Sanderson, defenseman, Ottawa Senators. Uh, new contract, eight-year deal, $64.4 million. So the AAV is $8.05 million. That's a big jump from the nine twenty-five dollars uh, that he was making, to which right away we'll jump to the brand new 32 Thoughts, Montana's Thought Line, Montana's Barbecue and Bar, Canada's Home for Barbecue. Eat the ribs. <laughs> Email 32thoughts at sportsnet.ca. You can call us, leave a uh, question, a comment. Uh, at one eight three 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 one one thirty two thirty two. So in that spirit, yep. thought we'd do it a little bit early here. Uh, this is from Eric. Hi guys, love the show. As a Senators fan, I was excited to see Jake Sanderson's eight year sixty four point four million dollar extension. Well, so is he, Eric. Get announced. <laughs> but it got me wondering in the cap era, has any player gotten a bigger extension with a smaller? I think he means fewer number of games played. I'd love to hear if anyone comes to mind. My first thought was Kirill Kaprizov. It depends on what you consider a bigger deal. Is it AAV or is it cash? I just looked at AAV because he 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 jumped to nine million. You are right. Kirill Kaprizov is the answer. After fifty-five games, Kirill Kaprizov signed for a nine million dollar AAV. 
before in September of 2021. He signed for five years at 45 million and 9 million AAV after he'd played 55 games. So in terms of average annual value, Kaprizov is the answer. Now, Matt Boldy, and we're noticing a theme here, Big Brass (laughs) Billy Guerin. Big checkbook Bill Guerin. Everyone's buddy, Bill Guerin. He doesn't have the checkbook. The owner has the checkbook. Guerin's just spending the money. Yeah. (laughs) Matt Boldy signed for $49 million, a $7 million AAV. It was seven times seven after 89 games. So that's another one that came up. But in terms of the actual dollars, $64.4 million after 77 games, that's the highest number. And I think the thing that even makes it more unique is that Kaprizov and Boldy, I mean, Kaprizov especially, was immediately a stud. Those are offensive players. Those guys have big counting stats. You can look at that and you can see how those would happen. Sanderson doesn't have the counting stats. People believe they'll come. So it's more unique in Sanderson's case. Now, I have a lot of thoughts about this, Jeff, and you know we'll get to yours too. But I look at it this. You know one of my philosophies. If you judge a player to be a cornerstone player, sign them up for as long as you can, as quickly as you can, because the price never goes down. So if you really believe that Jake Sanderson is that important to your team, yep. get it done. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that always. So my initial response to this is, if Ottawa feels that strongly about him and they know him the best, do it. I support that kind of thinking. I think there's a couple of other things here too. Number one, there's new ownership coming in. Like Ottawa's really tried to lock up their young core They've done it now in a lot of ways with one exception that we will talk about in a couple minutes, but they've tried to lock up their guys. So this fits their philosophy. I also think whenever there's new ownership coming in and the hope is that Mike Andlauer can take over next week. And he was actually at uh, an event today where they were showing some of the changes in the building. Whenever there's a new owner comes in, I, I really think they try to do something that makes it look like, yeah, like, we're not going to be like counting nickels in between couch cushions here. We're going to be spending some money on stuff. (laughs) And I think the other thing too is, and we talked about this in the middle of Ottawa's crazy bid, the one group that didn't go after the celebrity factor was Andlauer's. And I was told that Andlauer didn't believe in that because He thinks the truest way to win over your fans is smart, stable ownership. And if you saw the reaction of the Ottawa fans after this got announced on Wednesday night, in the middle of one of my fantasy football drafts, by the way. How dare they? Like, I don't have time to worry about Jake Sanderson extensions when I'm trying to draft Christian McCaffrey and Josh Jacobs, okay? Oh, my goodness. Anyway. If you saw the reaction of the Ottawa fans, they were ecstatic with this. So I'm not surprised that on the eve of the Ann Lauer era in Ottawa, that he would say, I'm okay with this if we believe it's right, because he thinks that kind of move is what really scores big in your market. 
couple things. So this fits um, Pierre Dorian's MO, and it's worked for him. Yep. It, it really has worked for him. Like, I know Josh Norris has had the injury woes, but that was an eight-year deal, $63 Everyone would sign all those guys to those contracts. Brady Kachuk, same thing. Great deal. Thomas Shabbat, same thing. Tim Stutzla, and when you look at the season he had last year, it's a good thing they signed him to that Whopper. Yeah. <laughs> because if he were doing the deal now, it would be more uh, than $66.8 million over uh, over eight years for the uh, for the German center. So, I mean, this is how Pierre Dorian has done business with the Ottawa Senators, so we shouldn't be surprised. You know, sometimes there are, there are deals, Elliot, that give you an indication of where the salary cap is going. My first thought when I saw this is the salary cap is going up. And it's going up big time. Jake Sanderson goes from nine two five to eight point zero five million dollars. They've been planning on that for the last two summers, about four and a half next year and five the year after. I mean, we'll see, but that's what they're telling people. Yes, the, the reminder more than anything else. Okay, so what does this mean then? I do want to get to Shane Pinto in a second. Yes, what does this mean then for other defensemen that are due contracts? And we think of Owen Power. Yep. Uh, with the Buffalo Sabers, we can throw in Rasmus Dahlin as well. I'm probably sure you have a thought or two on him. Uh, Moritz Sider of the Detroit Red Wings. What does this do now to the marketplace? The cascading effect here, Elliot. What's interesting to me is that Pat Brisson, who negotiated this deal for Sanderson, he also represents Owen Power. I always look for connections, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, Dalene and Andrew Peters and, and Craig Reve talked that the rumor is it's eight times ten and a half or in that area. Yeah. You know, Andrew and, and Craig, those guys are really plugged in and They're plugged in. 10.5. 10.5. We heard. Just went up 500 grand. Well, did it? I mean, I guess the reports were in and around 10 million about months ago that that was the deal that was apparently a done deal. Back three months ago, we were all talking about this. Many outlets were talking about this. We talked about 9.5. Remember that? Then you hear a $10 million salary come out for eight years. And, you know, it did not bother me whatsoever. Now you're telling me here today that it's 10 and a half. It's going to be 10 and a half. I've heard from a, from a reliable source that maybe for some reason hasn't been announced yet. Things that we've discussed, probably a training camp surprise or, you know. I still don't know why it's not announced. I don't see the reasoning for it. If you can explain that to me, then. I I don't have an answer for that. I'll tell you this. I did have some people say there's a little bit to be done there. So don't go with those numbers yet hard and fast. But put it this way. I'm told that everybody believes that there is a Dalene extension coming. What exactly it is, I don't have the exact numbers, but most people believe it's coming. And everybody seems to be very optimistic about it. Do it now before he starts to win Norris trophies. <laughs> yes. And they're going to do it. You know, the other thing too is, is you mentioned Cider. You know, the other ones that are going to be interesting is Devon Taves. Yep. And although he's a UFA. He's a UFA though. That's, that's different. What's McCarr's next deal going to look like? Oh, um, and I'll say this, like I go back to what I said at the beginning, if Ottawa really believes he's a cornerstone player and I thought that guy had a hell of a year last year, yeah, you do it, you get it done, you do it. Mm-hmm. I will say this. I think a lot of other agents, especially now like counting stats, because Sanderson doesn't have a lot, 
They were very happy with that deal because, as you said, Sanderson will be used as a comparable and other people will be able to say, hey, my number's bigger than theirs. I'm sure there's some teams gritting their teeth at this one, but Ottawa's got to do what it thinks is right. But what it's done is it's a shot right at two competitors uh, to jump into playoff spots, the Buffalo Sabres and the Detroit Red Wings. We talk about that next three. You have to take care of your own business, though. Oh, no, no. I totally get it. I'm just saying, like, the cascading effect here goes to two teams you're competing with to take that next step and get into the playoffs. I don't disagree. I, I, I don't think you're wrong at all. But you take care of your own business. And that's what you do. But it will have a cascading effect. Speaking of taking care of business, can they take care of business? And if so, how? And get Shane Pinto under contract. Well, I think they're going to have to move somebody. And and I think they've been exploring that. You know, it's funny. I had someone say to me, another manager, say, look at the left side of their defense now. They've got Shabbat. They've got Chikrin. And they've got Sanderson there now. And, you know, all these guys are signed. That's a position of strength for them. Like, I don't think they're doing anything with that. But I do think they are looking to create some room to sign Pinto. Like, they know they're not getting Pinto signed for 895000 You know, You know what's interesting? We had Yarmo Kekalainen on either last year or two years ago, and we talked about how people say Columbus negotiates really hard when people don't have the power of the CBA. And Kekalainen defended himself. He said, look, when the players have the power, yeah. they don't give us a break. Yep. So why should we give them a break when we don't have the power? And I remember when that interview came out, uh, a manager called me and, and the first words I heard on my phone were, Yarma was bleeping right. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what we have to do. I get it. And so Ottawa has the power of the CBA here with Pinto. He can't sign an offer sheet. Uh, He can't do anything like that. He's not arbitration eligible. I think this, I think the kid really wants to stay in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And I assume at the end of the day, they're going to find a way to get this done. That's my assumption. This is the danger though. that Glenn Healy would always say to me, this is the, the divisiveness of the salary cap because everybody's getting taken care of around you, but you're not. And you don't want to be jealous. You don't want to be a bad guy because you're happy for your teammates and you want the team to do well. It's hard to be in that case. And I think Ottawa is really trying to clear some room to get Pinto done. We'll see where this one goes. Speaking of business, though, as well, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers. Morgan Frost signs a bridge deal. Two years, $4.2 million. AAV 2.1. 19 goals, 46 points. Real nice season for Morgan Frost last season. I got to tell you, like I, I, I like this for both. I like it for Morgan Frost. I like it for the Philadelphia Flyers and what the Flyers have now. Like I've always drawn the distinction between being bad but smart and being bad but dumb. <laughs> and right now, the Philadelphia Flyers have enough cap space uh, to be bad and smart. They're not in a position to be bad and dumb here. Anyway, your thoughts on the, the Morgan Frost deal? I think you're you're right about that. Like if you take a look at a lot of their players, they you know, they've signed them to bridge deals. To me with Frost, it says to me, look, he just wanted to be in camp. 
he had a really good finish the year mm-hmm. to the year end of the year last year, and he's like, I'm not missing time. Remember last year we talked about how Tortorella sent out a letter and basically said he wanted everybody there by September 1st. And even though like you're not supposed to do that and players can say no, he was trying to set a mentality. I think that something similar happened again this year. Like these guys know, like thing is when you're going to have the year that Philly is going to have, you know, Philly, I don't think they want to do this, but you can always take the attitude, you know, we could finish 32nd even with you. So I think you have to know that there, especially when you're a young player still building yourself up. Like I like to fight for everything in a negotiation like I can, but I lo- I could see Morgan Frost saying, you know what? I'm building myself up here. Tortorella's a demanding guy. I can't be behind. Yep. If he's closer to UFA status and is a bit more established, maybe it's different, but I could see Frost saying, just get this over with. I don't want any distractions I want to build. Mm-hmm. And that's a case where a team does have a bit of leverage. Uh, the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, Bill Armstrong gets a contract extension as general manager of the Arizona Coyotes. You know what? I'll tell you. I know it's been said before that, you know, the easy part is tearing things down. It's the building up that's difficult. That's an obvious statement. But if you look at the uh, the Arizona Coyotes here and what Bill Armstrong is doing, and part of it is, yeah, tearing it down and, Picking up, you know, volume uh, a volume of draft picks. What was that? What was that line that I dropped on on Dallas Green in our interview? Uh, it was always attributed to Napoleon, which is quantity has a quality all of its own. You look at like all the quantity of picks that Arizona has, but also you look at their contracts; they're not getting stung. Like there, are, there's no like, wow, they're getting really hosed on these two deals, like. Well, a lot of those actually came in were before him. Remember when Keller signed? Yep. Like people murdered John Chaka for that contract. And it's turned out to be a heck of a contract. John Chaka deals, no doubt. But I just look at the Arizona Coyotes as a team right now as well and say, you know, it's not as if they're getting strangled by contracts. Got a volume of picks. What are picks? They're lottery tickets. They're in the lottery a lot here. Logan Cooley, we're all expecting big things out of. And in the middle of all of this, you know, there's Bill Armstrong both tearing it down and, and building it up. Because I still think that, you know, there's business to be done there. Listen, I don't think Arizona is going to be as bad as some people think. I don't no, think they're going to be a I playoff team. I think that team, division but I think is wide open after the yes. first two teams, Jeff. I, I think there's Colorado and there's Dallas. And then I think Minnesota is like the next tier. And then, you know, we'll see. I think it's wide open. And I'll say this, you know, right around the beginning start of the summer, there were people who believed that Clayton Keller was going to ask for a trade and there was no way that Logan Cooley was going to show up there. And Keller didn't and Cooley showed up. On that alone, Armstrong probably deserves an extension. Mm. I agree with you. I think this is a fascinating year, but the biggest question there is not in Armstrong's control. The shadow of Salt Lake City looms large over Arizona. And I'm really curious to see how it all turns out. A story will follow. Uh, A couple of things quickly before we get to some of our interviews here. Um, Bruce Boudreaux signs on as a senior advisor with the Niagara Ice Dogs of the OHL. Now his son, Ben, is an associate coach there Ah. uh, already. So the Boudreaux show in Niagara. You know, they're, listen, as soon as this happened, I'll tell you, Elliot, 
the rumors of, oh, Bruce Boudreaux's going to buy the Niagara Ice Dogs. He's going in there to buy a junior team. Oh, really? It was crazy with the rumors. First of all, hmm. it's not it's not happening. Everybody calm because <laughs> I know people have asked, like, is he buying the team? I got a couple of times. Is he buying the team? Not buying the team. He's going in as a senior advisor. Um, and I believe he shows up next week uh, to report for duty. But yeah, Bruce Boudreaux signs on with the Niagara Ice dogs. If you're a senior advisor, do you actually have to show up? Although I could see Boudreaux wanting to Bo- be You know Bruce. He loves you, come on. You don't think that Boudreaux is going to go to go to St. Cath and hang around some junior hockey and his son's an associate coach and like all of it? Like 100%. Anyway, Bruce Boudreaux, back with a team, the Niagara Ice Dogs of the OHL. You have a quick thought on that one? Just that I know he loves hockey. I'm not surprised. Like someone said to me, why would Brian Burke lead the union for the new uh, women's league. And I said, cause the guy loves being around hockey. Like he just does. Yeah. So like, like people like Burke and people like Boudreaux, they want to be around. And if somebody wants to have them, like, I don't think they look at that's too small for me, or I'm not interested in that. They want to help. And uh, I'm not surprised in the least. Doug Wilson hired as speaking of senior advisors, senior advisor to hockey operations for the Pittsburgh Penguins. We all thought he was going to land somewhere. Elliot, he lands in Pittsburgh. Well, I, I'm happy for him because it shows he's healthy enough to get back in. Yep. Like that to me is the is the biggest thing. Now, I know he was hoping to see if there was a, a bigger role for him that was available at this time. I think the Leafs talked to him before they hired Tree Living, but I think this is a perfect way for him to get back in. Uh, I know Dubas and him, they did deals together. I think they got along really well, obviously. So I'm just happy his health is enough that he can get back in and do this. Absolutely. And a note about the PWHL as well, uh, as the teams are getting populated with their uh, their first free agent signings. Um, and the general managers are, of course, all in place. And September 18th is the draft. So that'll be a, a story as well that we'll, uh, we'll cover as the, uh, the season unfolds. Training camp there, by the way, starts November the 15th. Uh, and we'll wait to see what uh, some of these teams look like. Sounds like uh, Taylor Heisey is probably going to go first overall in that. And do you think the goalie's going second to Toronto? Kristen Campbell? Uh, yeah. It would make a lot of sense to me. Uh, I put it this way. If I'm New York, though, I'm looking for an elite defender or an elite goaltender. She would fit that bill. I don't know if maybe she's been approached or maybe she's been asked to sign and is holding on for Toronto, but it does make sense for Kristen Campbell to, to go second to, to Toronto in that draft. We'll see. All right. A couple more things before we wrap up here. First of all, there's been a lot of talk about uh, Shane Wright and what's the situation here. Technically he's one game away. Okay. So the way it works is right now, as per the NHL CHL agreement, technically Shane Wright would have to go back to junior hockey. The Windsor Spitfires own his rights because he didn't play the minimum amount of games last year in the OHL. That would be 25. Shane Wright played 24. Now he was up with Seattle. He was at Coachella Valley. He was playing with the World Juniors. I mean, it was planes, trains, and automobiles. Not unlike, by the way, Brant Clark. Brant Clark and Shane Wright kind of had similar seasons last year uh, in a lot of ways, the way that they bounced around. But nonetheless, he's one game short. And if you want to be someone who's a stickler for the rules, technically, yeah, he didn't play the 25 games in the OHL. But it sounds, Elliot, like in this situation, wiser heads will prevail. (laughs) Like Shane Wright should be able to go to the American Hockey League here. 
Yeah, I'm under the impression that this has been sorted out. I don't know if there's going to be any formal announcement or anything like that, but if Shane Wright does not make the Kraken, and obviously his first goal is to make the team, and I have no doubt he's worked hard this summer towards that. If he does not make the Kraken, I'm under the impression that the CHL is in agreement that it doesn't make any sense for him to go back there and Wright will go to the American League if he doesn't if. make the Kraken. And the other thing I just wanted to mention is we were talking about Elias Pettersson's interview with us in uh, Stockholm. And I got to tell you, the money is on Quinn Hughes as captain ah. of the Vancouver Canucks. I think there are a lot of people like to see that. Certainly Quinn Hughes. That's an interesting one. And I like it. Let's say you. I, I like it. I, I think Hughes really cares. Like to me, your captain has to care like really care. And I think that guy really cares. This is the Hughes's NHL now. And now that, you know, Luke is going to, you know, step in and, you know, be a big part of that New Jersey Devils blue line as well. This is the Hughes family's NHL. I got a kick out of that uh, clip that was all over social media about him driving the boat and trying to <laughs> knock his mother out of it. That's something I would do. So I really yeah. like all right, on that, we'll uh, we'll hit a pause. We'll come back. You'll hear from Alexander Barkoff of the Florida Panthers, Pierre Engvall of the New York Islanders, also still to come, Tim Stutzla and J.J. Paterka. We'll be right back. Hey, boys. It's Alex calling from the University of Waterloo. Uh, just calling because I have a solution to the video replay situation. Here's the thought. When one team challenges a play for, let's say, offside or goaltender interference, the refs go to the other team immediately and ask them if they'd like to concede that challenge. If they concede it, then the call gets overturned and the game moves on. If they don't concede it and the refs rule that it was a fairly obvious play to the point where they could make a decision, then the other team that did not concede gets penalized for not conceding it. Anyways, thanks guys. Thanks for the pod. Hope to see you soon. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple, and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. So that Nelson, man, he's a hell of a He's player. good. He's great. He's, he's so, a, so underrated. Yeah. And I remember, I don't know if you saw, but the All-Star game, he won the accurate shooting and Crosby called it. He said, people are sleeping on Brock Nelson for this. And he went out and he went yeah. <laughs> So to open up, Alexander, we have to talk about the Stanley Cup run, which was incredible. And there's a lot of questions that are going to come out of it. But there's one moment and it happened in the first series against the Boston Bruins. Bruins are up three to one in the series. It's a tie game. It's about to go into overtime. Brad Marchand has a breakaway, can end your season, and Sergei Bobrovsky makes the most clutch pad save to save your season. What went through your mind as you're watching Brad Marchand with a puck on his stick looking to end your season? For some reason, I was really confident it's not going to go in. Like there was a... (laughs) Offensive zone face-off for us, seven seconds to go. You would have never thought that in five seconds, Marshawn's <laughs> going to be a breakaway in our own end. But for some reason, I knew Bob was going to save that. And then ever since, it was just our time to roll. Okay. Now, did you know because you were hoping that he was going to make the save? Or did you see something on the breakaway that said to you that Bob was going to make the save? First of all, like I thought there's not enough time and maybe Brad knew there's not enough time to like try and make a, any deke and then he tried to shoot and Bob is one of the best in the league to save the breakaways. Like he's been in practice, there's no one can really score on him <laughs> in those and for some reason I, I just had like that confidence in him and that it's not going to go in, he's going to save that and we go in the overtime. During that run, you beat Boston, who had an incredible season. Mm. You beat Toronto, and everybody likes beating Toronto. And then you beat Carolina, which gets you into the Stanley Cup final. Was there one of those three series wins in particular that you love the most? Like, it's hard to say. Like, Boston, 3-1 down, coming back, like, a couple overtimes, uh, coming back and winning in Game 7 overtime. That was incredible. Like, that's once-in-a-lifetime thing. Toronto also in overtime last game. Carolina also like two seconds before the end of the regulation. Chucky scores that goal. Like all of those, either overtime or like two seconds like before sudden. the end. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like all of those were, we'll never forget that feeling. Like where I was, like either on the bench or on the ice. Like it was just remember being really excited. I can tell like you're sitting here, like you're thinking about it. You still got the big smile on your face. Yeah. That's like one of the first times I'm thinking about it again. Oh, really? Eh? Do you ever yeah. go back and watch any of this stuff? I saw some goals, of course, from the playoffs, but I've been trying to take a full, full break from, <laughs> from hockey, uh, for this summer. And for sure, I'll see them again. I'm sure Paul is going to show a lot of those goals in the, in the, <laughs> in the training camp. <laughs> Let me ask you about Paul, because that was a a fascinating experience for everybody. And it almost seemed as if that was, you know, Paul Maurice's, you know, personal revenge tour, you know, take down the Maple Leafs, take down the Carolina Hurricanes, the, you know, the, uh, the cherry on top would have been if he would have faced the Winnipeg Jets in the Stanley Cup final and the revenge tour would have been complete. How was Paul Maurice through all of this as a first year coach with the Cats? Oh yeah. Amazing. 
like I have to say, we went pretty much through everything during that season. We started well, we were like four and one starting the season and then pretty much like nothing went our way. Uh, we didn't play well. I guess we didn't play as, as good as we could have. And like in January or something like that, we were 13 points out from the playoffs. And of course, nobody had a great time during that time. And the way he treated us and the way he got us out of that slump and got us to play the way we played all the way to the end, like it's a lot of credit to him, mm-hmm. how he got us ready for every game and how he changed our mindset that we're not a 13 points out of kind of team. Like yeah. we're a playoff team. We got to be in the playoffs. And actually that helped us because we started our playoffs in January already. Hmm. That night in Toronto, what did he say on the bench when he called that timeout to yell at everybody? <laughs> Give me a word-by-word breakdown of what he said. 2023, I don't think it's allowed to give you a, uh, But for sure, it got, it got us going. <laughs> for sure. I can understand why you don't want to say it. During the past, like, like we've heard now, like Ekblad, he was really hurt. Montour. He was really hurt. Kachuk got hurt. I mean, I couldn't believe he played a mm-hmm. final game like that. Like That's one of the things. I remember when Shea Weber retired or said he wasn't going to play again. The, the Montreal players told me, and even before they said, they said, you would not believe what that guy goes through to play. And I'm just wondering if there was stuff you saw during those playoffs where you said, wow, like I, I cannot believe what this guy is doing to play. Especially during finals, those guys, like maybe four or five more guys that like would not play in regular season or even like maybe maybe first round, they would not be able to play. Like there's a line to the medical room before the game to go and get something done to be able to play. And that just like tells how bad we want it, how bad we, we battle like whole regular season to get to that point and everyone wants to play and contribute and yeah, sometimes it's going to be like that. And of course, it would have been nice to see them all healthy, but I don't think any any team in the playoffs are fully healthy. So right. everyone goes through something. Was there one of those players or a couple of those players, and you know, Elliot mentioned Ekblad, and we all know about Kachuk at the end. Was there anyone that you looked at before a game and said that there's no way this guy can play? Yeah, you, you mentioned those names, Montour, uh, yeah. Gudas. Gudas was one. He's a like true warrior and like he went through a lot and the way he plays too is not the he's, uh, he's not soft. <laughs> he's not soft. Like he's not gonna skate by you or he's not gonna not block the shot. He still played every game, like uh, just unbelievable. You know, that's the thing, like some of these guys well obviously Gudis signed elsewhere, but you know, you're not going to have Montour, you're not going to have Ekblad to start the season. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I think it's almost cruel in a way. You go all you go all the way to the final, you do everything you need to do to get there, and then the next year, there's no break. You have to start to make the playoffs, and you're not going to have these guys there. Like, the challenge is, it's big. It's very big. It's almost not fair. It's very big. Yeah, for sure. Like you're missing those type of guys. It's like core of the team and leaders of the team. And of course, that means like everyone else have to step up and play even better. And uh, I know we got a lot of good players uh, coming in. Like we're missing two top defensemen. So we have, I think, 
for a new defenseman coming in. Yeah. So I think it will be fine for sure. Like as you're watching all this, I don't know how much like they tell you about what they're thinking. Do they tell you much about what they're thinking? They're not asking me to press the <laughs> press the button, but yeah, like we we talk sometimes about some stuff, but I'm not the GM and right. uh, they make all the decisions. But if they ask me about like any opinions, I'm very happy to share my thoughts. Was there one of the players you looked at and you said, I, I like that one in particular. I like that one. Everyone, that everyone who's oh, coming in. Oh, true captain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone who comes in. I see a comes C in. On, the, on the shirt there. Oh, I guess it's, but uh, that is a very captain's answer. Good for you. Yeah, I mean, all those guys, like you... You know, they've been in the NHL for, for a while and uh, some of them even more experienced and Kulikov is coming back. He was yep. yeah. for, played for three years when I came to the league. He helped me. Good guy. Yeah, he helped me a lot to get to adjust to NHL, to the Panthers, and then unfortunately he got traded, but now he's back and feels like he never left. So mm. it's great. And then all the other guys too. You're in a really interesting spot here with the Florida Panthers who are, are heading into their 30th season. Like This is going to be a big celebration year for the Florida Panthers. And, you know, you look at the roster and it's not as if it's, you know, the lion's share of players were drafted and developed. I mean, you were Lundell, um, Aaron Ekblad. But after that, there's a lot of, you know, traded and free agents and, and, and waiver wire claims. This is a really unique way to to put a team together. I mean, I like it because I don't like the idea that there's only one way to build a winning team. And I think the Florida Panthers sort of proved that last season, that there's a lot of ways to make a winning team. What are you looking forward to? What are you expecting as you head into what's going to be a celebration season? I mean, 30 years of Florida Panthers hockey. Well, that's one thing like to get excited about. Of course, there's going to be some badges on the, on the jerseys and, on the ice and some kind of like celebrations throughout the year for that. I know we have some guys who were drafted by Panthers, uh, four or five guys and uh, other guys come in from trades or uh, free agency. And I mean, we have people in the organization starting from Bill Zero who knows what they're doing and they do really well. They know how to build a, mm -hmm. build a team that plays the way we want to play and leaves leaves hockey as a professional hockey player. So mm -hmm. I think it's a great spot to be right now. And like the the standards every year, they're going like higher and higher to come to the rink. And no matter like if your next game is in two weeks, you have to work really hard on that day as well. So now with just on an individual uh, basis, now with Patrice Bergeron retired, do you say to yourself that Selkie Trophy is mine? <laughs> uh, first thing came to mind was that my face-off percentage will probably go up like what one percent or two. Uh, he was one of those guys who who dropped my percentage very low. Like his definition of a Selkie type of player, and he was one of those guys who you hate to play against. Like always, you touch the puck, he's always there on you, not giving you any space or time. Face-offs, huge part. He's always there to take the face-off, and like 70% of them, he, he's going to win. And their team knows it. They're confident with him. Game of hockey will miss him for sure. Last one, Wimbledon. 
Mm. I thought Djokovic was going to win that. I thought he was going to find a way to win that. You agree? I was shocked. Yeah, I agree too. He's whatever, like 10 years not losing on the center court yeah. in Wimbledon. But obviously, Alcaraz is something special. Again, they had great final in Cincinnati. Yeah. Like those two guys, I feel like they're in their own league. I know you're a heck of a player. If you played Djokovic, how many points do you think you could get off him? Probably zero. You don't think you could get one? <sighs> well, maybe on my serve. Maybe one. Like if he makes uh, some stupid mistake. <laughs> 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 then I would not... I don't think I will be able to hit a winner on him. I mean, like, I know how hard that is, and I know how great he is, but mm. I've heard you're a really good player. I figured you could get one or, two, one or two. <laughs> I don't really think. You don't? Wow. I, I think if he just keeps returning the ball to me, I'll eventually make the mistake. I admire your honesty. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's, uh, it's not, not fun to be honest. <laughs> well, you gave us a lot of fun last year, and I uh, look forward to more this season. Alexander, thanks so much for this. Thank you, guys. Pierre, I'm going to turn it over to Elliot to ask the obvious first question. Well, I, I have to say, when I saw you walk in the room with a beard, I said, how long is that thing going to stay before you go back to Long Island? Uh, probably like the, the day I fly back, it's going right off. <laughs> Uh, you know, I was used to having a beard before, but, uh, you know, now, uh, you know, it's no beard, so, uh, no. but it's good. You know, I think I look younger with no beard, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> you look good no matter what. That's the, that's <laughs> okay, the thank you. Uh, lose rules, lose rules, and yeah. uh, congratulations on the deal. Thank you. Uh, Seven-year deal. Why has it been such a good fit for you with the Islanders? Why has it clicked? Uh, you know, I think uh, when I got traded and coming over, I think right away I felt... Um, Pretty comfortable with the, you know the system. I like how they play, and also you know I get a lot of help from the teammates coming in, and and you know I got to play with great players. Yeah. And I think Nelson and Palmieri there was um, I don't know you know I felt that we had some chemistry you know going in there. Uh, I feel like I'm finding them nice, and they're finding me, and we mm -hmm. they they're easy player to play with uh, if I say like that. What did you learn about Nelson in particular that you didn't know? Because I think he's one of the most underrated, unknown guys out there. Yeah, he is definitely one of the most underrated in the league. Uh, I think even like, you know, he's, he's pretty fast. You know, he has a great shot. Before, I felt like, you know, he was more, you know, really good, you know, playmaking, you know, things like that. But, you know, you know his speed is underrated and his shot is really underrated. Yeah, uh, he's a good player. Yeah, he's a great player. But even Palmieri, too, like, uh, he's... You know, he, he's strong on the puck. You know, he's not the tallest, or biggest player, but like, you know, I still remember, remember, you know, he's like one-on-one -on -one in the corner and he, yes. almost every time he's like, somehow he like gets by the guy and he gets you on a two-on-one or a three-on-two somehow. So, you know, great players. Smart guys. Yeah. Uh, the one thing we know about Lou Lamarillo is uh, for the players that he likes, he is loyal and players don't leave, and you're uh, another in that long list. What does that do to the room? Like, you look at a lot of players on this Islander squad, and there's a lot of term attached to these guys. What does that do to the room? Like, I'm curious, like, from a player's point of view, because, you know, there's nothing, you know, no new shiny toy coming into the Islanders organization this this offseason. It's a lot of, yeah. we're re-signing what we have. You know, I mean, I think, you know, uh, 
players uh, know what they can expect from each other. And I think, you know, coming in there, you can feel like they had a really strong group of guys that were like, you can feel in the games, you're playing like they, they have your back and like, you know, everyone is fighting for each other. And, um, you know, maybe we have a more routine guys, you know, they have older guys on the team. And, uh, but, you know, I, I think it builds like, you know, faith in each other, you know, mm -hmm. and things like that. So, I'm really happy to come back there to play for the Islanders. I know when you did your exit interview, you said it was a toss-up on whether or not you it would come back. What were you thinking that day, and when did you realize that it was going to happen? Uh, you know, when the season ended there, I, I knew uh, they had a lot of guys to sign. Also, you know, it was coming up. You know, Mayfield, uh, Sorokin, um, Varlamov, Varlamov. Yeah. So, you know, they have some guys they needed to sign. So I just. Uh, I didn't know if they were gonna be able to fit me in with a team, but uh, you know, um, they offered me a good deal, so I think uh, that was the best fit for me, and I really liked uh, liked my time there. So, so you see, one of the things I'm curious about here is because it's Lou Lamorello, yeah, we never know when any of this happens. He announces it when he announces it, yeah, but we never know. Like I remember the night before, yeah. somebody told me. You'll never be able to prove it, but Scott Mayfield <laughs> is signed. Like, it's done. He's not going to the uh, okay, market. Okay, okay. How soon before July 1st did you know you were staying? You know, I think um, we had a good conversations all the way through. You know, I think I had a pretty good um, idea that I was going to stay. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to stay. And I think I told you also, you know, if we have something good here, like a good deal and, you know, you feel good about me, like I, I would like to stay in New York and play for you guys. Uh, and, uh, you know, we had a good conversation all the way through. And um, and when July 1st came there, you know, I, I signed the deal. So it felt really good. We were talking to Rasmus Sandin earlier on. We were talking about Toronto. Yeah. Now that you've had some time to think about leaving and going to the island, yeah. What do you remember about Toronto? What did Toronto teach you about life in the NHL? Obviously, you know, you can be a hard market to play in, you know, especially with the media. Uh, but I think you can have it to your advantage too, you know, if you're... And for me, I think they were, for me, the media was always good to me and everyone was uh, really good. So I have nothing bad to say about that. Uh, you can feel that it's it's more, more pressure, I think. You can feel it's... Uh, in the air somehow uh, <laughs> but uh you know i think i think it was a uh, you know great to play for toronto and i think um you know it really gets you um you know ready for what's coming next i think uh, yes but, but uh, i had a great time there and i think i developed good uh, playing for toronto from an individual point of view i mean team success is obviously measured by you know how far you go in the play but making the playoffs how far you go stanley cup etc yeah. from an individual point of view what'll be a successful season for pierre engvall you know i think uh, i would like to go back to new york with uh, the same way i, I ended the season you know uh, i think i took my offensive game a little bit better i started to make more plays i started holding on to the puck more you know i think playing with um Nelson and uh, Paul Mary, I think we had some chemistry. So mm. if I play with them, I would be really happy. But, uh, you know, we have a good team. So if I play with somewhere else, you know, I'm, I'm happy with that too, of course. Uh, How much in the offseason do you follow what teams around you are doing? And, you know, the obvious one is, well, the Pittsburgh Penguins added Eric Carlson. He stinks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how, how much do you watch what's going on around the division in the offseason? Or do you just try to unplug? You have a little bit of uh, look, you know, even if you have Instagram, Twitter, 
of course yeah. it's gonna come up you see what player goes to to what teams but yeah you know eric carlson going to pittsburgh there was that's uh, a big one that's a big one yeah i have a pretty good look of where the, the players go you told me something once, and I've always remembered it. And uh, that was, you know, you were a seventh round pick, and yeah. I asked you if you thought, you know, you would have a chance. And you said that it didn't bother you because you you saw Patrick Hornfist make yeah. it as a seventh rounder, yeah. and that it, it didn't matter to you that you were taken late, that you knew yeah. you'd have a chance. Yeah, I I always tell young players about that. Now, I, I just always wonder, Pierre, like when was the moment that you said? This is going to work for me. I'm going to make this. Like you said before, I think you, you shouldn't compare yourself to other players. But, you know, if I saw someone else, you know, make it from like the seven on Sederberg, Lundqvist, yeah. you know, if they could make it, why not me? You know, if you do, you know, do the job and, you know, you, uh, you have someone else you can look up to, you know, follow that, follow that path. I think it's possible, you know. And I think also like there's even players, you know, they don't even get drafted. And somehow they end up being the best scoring players in the NHL. So, I don't know. I think my first year coming over to the Marlies, I think it was a learning process, you know, living, you know, on the other side from long way from home. I think it was a big... Um, adjustment. Yeah. yeah, adjustment. Yeah. And then I think I didn't have a, a good season that year. And then the season after, I kind of lowered my expectations. And, you know, I, f uh, I got to play out more of my game and... It went really well in the AHL, and I got called up. And um, I think when when Keith came in, yeah, he knew what I could do in the AHL, and he kind of believed that I could do it in the NHL too. And I think after the first game there, I got my goal. And I think from from then, I understand like what I did in the AHL. Maybe I can do it in the in the NHL. One of you, the Leaf teammates said to me he said that sometimes the conversations between you and Keith could be pretty. Yeah. intense yeah. like he said like he said it was he said it was amazing he said he could tell that Keith really believed in you yeah but at times he was like I've got to get more out of this guy yeah 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 yeah, yeah. you know uh, like if uh, I felt like he believed in me but also he could uh, tell me you know I needed to play better <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah you know we had a pretty good relationship I think yeah uh, but yeah, he, he told me when I didn't play good. I can tell you that. <laughs> you yeah. need the honesty. You yeah, need the yeah, he was honest yeah. about that. Any type of run to a championship uh, is great for a player's development. What did winning the Calder Cup do for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that was, I came from Sweden. I came over until the playoffs there. I think I played a few regular games before the playoffs. Uh, I think winning gets you the feeling that you want to win more. Yeah. And I think, People telling you like winning in the AHL, it's good, but you know the feeling about winning the Stanley Cup, it's obviously even better and even bigger. But um, yeah, I think it, I think it gets you the feeling that you want to win, you want to be win the the big thing, the Stanley Cup, you know. And that's probably everyone's dream. But I think if you get a little touch of winning, I think that oh, yeah. um, helps you get the extra motivation. I would, I think. That's awesome, Peter. Thanks so much for this. Thank you very much. You well. Pierre Engvall, Alexander Barkov, thank you so much for uh, for taking time out of your schedule uh, to sit with me and Elliot in Stockholm. When we come back, you'll hear from Tim Stutzla and JJ Paterka. Also caught up with them at the NHL European Players Tour as well in Stockholm. Two Germans are next. Who? Tim, Tim? count out. 
3 from 10. In German. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Alright, a smoky break for our Thoughtline partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. With meats prepared and smoked in-house, it's no wonder why they're Canada's home for barbecue. Check them out, and as Elliot always says... Try the ribs. Yes, their ribs are smoked in-house every day until they fall off the bone. And don't forget, Montana's has all-you-can-eat ribs Every Wednesday. Head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar and take the all-you-can-eat rib challenge every Wednesday. Smoking good barbecue only at Montana's. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Tim, first of all, thanks for joining us. You know, one of the great things from our chairs is watching young athletes hit their stride. And that was you last season, 39 goals, 90 points. Uh, We talked to you last year at the uh, European Players Tour as well. And you talked about mixing up your workouts and changing things. And I remember coming home and talking to Elliot and saying, you know, it feels like Tim Stutzla is going to have a big season. And you did. Describe last year for us. Yeah, thanks for for having me again. It's always great to be here, first of all. It's just, uh, I think it was a lot of fun, uh, the group we had. uh, We had an unreal group, and coming to work every day was just uh, so much fun. And uh, I was fortunate enough to play with uh, Brady and G, and I think those two guys are unbelievable players, and especially having G there, uh, who's been around Mm. for so long, who's been a captain so long, uh, helped me a whole lot, and just staying consistent and come to work every day and yeah getting the job kind of done and since I switched my workouts and everything I think uh, that was a big part too and um, I did a lot of stuff uh, to get better and hopefully continue to get better yeah the NHL it's the best league in the world like and it's really hard I mean everybody knows that and young players they join the NHL the rookie seasons can seem like scrambly trying to figure everything out and then after a while you know the elite players will tell you the game sort of slows down a little bit once you get used to it did that happen like you looked so comfortable playing last season and you'll carry that into this season and subsequent but did it feel like the game slowed down for you yeah as long as you you're comfortable i think you're playing way better i had a lot of confidence in my game and i think i got that from playing with those two guys i mean they kind of let me do my thing and if you play with g 
I think everybody would say he slows the game down and yeah. he's he's so smart and kind of finding areas and creating space for the guy who's coming down the middle. And uh, I think us, we, we built a lot of chemistry together uh, last year and I think that helped my game a lot. Uh, like you said, I think I was really confident and I'm mm-hmm. still really confident in my game. I think I can be even better and then uh, hopefully in the next years. Okay, a couple follow-ups here. When you say even better, What are we talking about here? What are you looking at to say, this is going to make me even better? I think being able to play in every situation, even playing when the game's on the line, if we are down a goal, if we're up a goal, getting better at my two-way game, I think that's going to be a really important part of our team. Right now with Josh and Pinto and Kastelik, we are really strong down the middle, and I think that's going to be really important for us. Uh, winning games, just getting better in every kind of aspect uh, in the game. And I think um, I'm still so young, so I can get way stronger, getting quicker, faster, and trying to uh, understand the game in the game even more, kind of trying to pre-scout the other players, doing more about the goalies. And I think there's still a lot of upside. Your GM last year, Pierre Dorian, he said, you're going to be a top five, top 10 player in this league. How close do you think you are to that? I think there's still a big gap. I mean, if you see all those guys doing it consistent year after year, I haven't done it yet. So I don't think you can compare me already to those guys. But in the end, I would say I'm a really confident guy and uh, I think I know what I can do. But in the end, you don't want to put too much uh, expectations on yourself. And I just want to have a good year again. And as a team, I think that's the most important to have a good year there. And then I think the, the personal success is going to come by itself if we have a strong year as a group. And I'm really confident in our group. Uh, I think that's the most important. Uh, I really believe in this team. I think we, we're going to be really, really good in the next years. That's, for me, the biggest key of uh, being successful is winning as a group and getting better every year. I also just wanted to ask you a quick one about Giroud. One of the former Flyers told me, Giroud, underrated demanding guy. Like, he is a really demanding guy. And he told me the first time he got the stink eye from Claude Giroux, he's like, I couldn't sleep for a week. Okay, so when did you get your first stink eye from Claude Giroux, and what did you do to deserve it? I mean, I have sometimes, I think we just look at each other, and he's like, let's go, man. Like, you got to be better. And I can't do that to him yet, but he wants me to do it. So, like... He's so, like, crazy on the bench. Like, it's insane. Like, he'd just, like, look at you and would be, like, mad. And, like, five seconds later, he would start dying laughing. You know, mm-hmm. he would just act like he's mad and then he's fine. Like What makes him mad, though? Like, what, what do you do that makes him mad? He always said he gets bad anxiety when I turn back with the puck and just kind of slow the game down a little bit. <laughs> and he just gets anxiety, but... He kind of wants me to do it too, but then he's like, just give me the puck, like, let's go. (laughs) And then I kind of want to keep the puck and stuff and go for a change, and that's what makes him mad. But no, he's been awesome, I think, for the whole group, and just having him around has been unbelievable. Yeah, hopefully we can have him for a little bit longer than he signed for. Mm -hmm. You know, you're really um, demanding of yourself and tough on yourself as well. You know, there are a couple of times this past season where you know you'll have like a three-point game and i'll listen to you after the game and you'll be like yeah i didn't play well i'm like didn't play well <laughs> when i'm one of the three stars you got three points or whatever it was what is a good tim stutzla game like what at the end of it do you look at and say okay that was a good game I think, what do you need to do yeah i think dominating 
dominating offensively, creating way more chances than the team you play against or when you're on the ice. I think uh, don't give him anything, kind of. I had some games where I played really, really good. Our line had like 15 shots and their line had like three or four. Mm-hmm. And you don't make any points. And I think that's still a really good game if the team wins. And in the end, if you play against the best players every night, it's going to be hard to keep that going. But um, my face-offs uh, got to be better. So if I go 0 for 7, that's <laughs> definitely not a great game. <laughs> you have some games, you're just fighting the puck. Things aren't going right. You just have too many turnovers and then you still go out and have three points so that's like not a great game for me it's just playing winning hockey i think that's the biggest part barkov said that everybody's face-off percentage is going up because bergeron retired so that's (laughs) that's, hopefully (laughs) hopefully that's that's good news um like just i remember a year ago you talked about how excited you were because you believe this group was going to get there well last year was a step and now Tarasenko's in. Like, how do you feel going into this year compared to how you felt last year about the group? Really confident in the group. I've been confident since I got here in the group. I think the guys we have, we are so young. And you just got to believe every year I think you get there. I mean, for me, it was really hard when I first got there. We lost so many games, and I wasn't used to that when I first got there. So, I still hate losing. We lost a lot, but uh, I think now it's really a time for us to to get better every season, uh, get stronger, make a push for the playoffs, and then just try our best. I mean, you could tell with Florida, they got in like four points ahead of us and made a run to the final. So it's just, I think, the group you have in the room, I think that's the biggest part, that everybody believes in it. And if you don't, then that's fine to us. But um, we want to have a group of guys who want to be there, who want to be with the team and just enjoy being around. I think with Tarasenko signing, I think he really believes in the group too. And that's awesome to see that we are making strides every year. And guys like him, guys like G, saw what we have in the team and came and joined us in free agency. Do you participate in the recruiting? Like when it was guys trying to get Dabrinkit to stay or get Tarasenko to come, how much are you personally involved in that? I don't think you can, really. The brink to stay, it's his choice. Uh, you can say whatever you want. If he doesn't want to be there, then I don't want to make him have to be there. You know, like, it's that's fine to us. I think the whole group, we've been saying it. We want him to stay. We want him to be part of this group. Uh, he's a great guy, great player. But in the end, if you don't want to be there, then good luck uh, on your way. But we're going to believe in our group, and uh, we are going to be strong about our opinion that we want to have this group of guys in the room. And I think you can just tell those guys who signed long-term, they really want to be here. And that's the biggest part for us. Uh, The sale of the Ottawa Senators. How does that affect you personally? (laughs) I don't know yet. Uh, I have no idea. I haven't really uh, seen any changes or something happen. So I think we're really fortunate enough that we have all our kind of core guys right now signed long-term. Mm-hmm. And I think they've done a really good job to do that. And now adding those pieces, I think, is going to help us getting better. And I think they've done everything they could to make us a better team, especially this offseason. And, yeah, everything they said, I mean, adding Chikrin, he's been great. Mm-hmm. Great guy, comes from around the area, does a lot for the community already. So um, it's great what they do. And, 
see how it goes when the new guys come in. Because that's what I was trying to get at. The, the idea that, you know, there was that one uncertainty since the passing of Eugene Melnick. We all know, you know, well, what do you what do you build your house on? You know, sand or stone? Like, you, you need a strong foundation. And I think we were all waiting to find out. And the sale probably took longer than everybody uh, wanted to. And I'm sure there were moments that as players, you wondered in the dressing room and had conversations about, okay, where is this going? When is this going to end? Is there now that sense of, okay, that's done and there's our foundation? Yeah, 100%. I think especially like in the media, like there was so much stuff going around and you had no idea what's kind of going on. But now I think, yeah, having having a new owner coming in who has been around, who has been yeah. in the league and knows all that stuff, I think it's going to be huge for our group. And he has our backs in every kind of situation. And you could really tell, I think, that he believes in the group too which is great to see. And otherwise you wouldn't have bought it for that much money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a last non-hockey question. Can Brady Kachuk sing anything besides Mr. Brightside? No, no, he can't. He can't. That's all he does every time. Every time when we go somewhere, he wants to put that song on. And yeah, I can't listen to it anymore. It's every time. It's a great song. It's yeah, completely it's ruined it for you. Do you do karaoke? No. I just stay in the background a little bit, see him put his shirt off and uh, go to work. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing That's that. not for you. No. <laughs> Expectations this year. You know, we were um, having a conversation with Lucas Raymond a couple of moments ago, and we talked about this group that exists in the Atlantic here, and it's the Ottawa Senators, it's the Detroit Red Wings, and it's the Buffalo Sabres. And we're all waiting to see which one is going to pull out of the pack first and take that next step. How close are the Ottawa Senators to being that team? Yeah, I think really close. Our goal last year too was to get closer to the playoffs, uh, be able to play some meaningful games at the end of the year. And I think that's what we did. Uh, we won the race almost the whole time. And I think that was good for our group. The guys who've played really good at the beginning or at the end were just not there in the middle to win those games. And that was us. But in the end, I think that's what we have to work on this year to stay yeah. consistent especially in those yeah, meaningful games where we got to be there to win those games. And I think we are really close to making a push here. And yeah, and I think the expectations are really high, but we just got to go day by day, game by game, and uh, see how it goes. This has been great. Tim, thanks so much for this. Thanks, Good luck guys. this season. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Awesome. JJ, first of all, thanks for doing this. Second of all, uh, I know it's some months ago, but great job with the World Championships. I don't know we're going to talk about the NHL plenty and all that, but, um, you know, top forward at the tournament, a great showing for Germany, the silver medal, like on the sort of scale of important things that you've already done in your career. Where's that one? First of all, thanks. Thanks for that. Um, no, um, I think it's up there with like playing my first, first NHL game, getting drafted. It's right up there, and I mean, with such a young young team, there was it was so exciting to play play with all the guys, and I mean, with with a lot of fun. So it was it was good. That moment where you hear top forward and, you, and your name gets called, what goes through your head when that happens? Um, to be honest, not too much. I was kind of disappointed yeah, after after I, the I final. Get it. I, yeah, I get it. I was like, just, I was like, just leave me alone at that moment, please. <laughs> but um, no, late, later was it was a good feeling. I was like, yeah. I think uh, I had a good tournament there. I mean, I, I played my balls off for, for all the guys, and 
just to get rewarded like that is, is kind of like a good feeling. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder about it because, you know, you beat the Americans, you lost the Canadians, but I wonder if there's a country as a German player, like, you know, there's the Finns and the Swedes, like they don't like each other. And it's a bit in Canada and the U S it's a, it's a huge rivalry. Who's the country that Germany likes to beat the most? Definitely Switzerland. It is Switzerland. And it felt <laughs> unreal, to be honest. Uh, we did that two years ago as well, also in, in, in Riga, Latvia. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think beating them, because they have like all the media. We were like the underdogs going in there. They had all the media for like winning the, the Waltz this year. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think just beating them felt so good. Oh, so that's like the, <laughs> the European gold medal for Germany Absolutely. is beating them. Absolutely. I can see by the smile. Wow. <laughs> you know, silver, I've always found that silver is fascinating because you don't appreciate it when you get it. Nobody wins silver. So when you get the silver medal right away, it's like, okay, that's not the one that I wanted. And there's that, like you mentioned, you know, top four. Yeah, I really wasn't feeling it because we had just lost. Silver is always something you appreciate months, sometimes years later when you look back. At the moment, I don't think you appreciate it. Do you appreciate that silver medal now? I do, yeah. And that's so true what you just said, because I think uh, just in the moment, it's, I mean, you still want silver, but it's so hard like think about it but i think i realized it like i would say two days after that um, quick hey, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean we all flew with our medals like uh, afterwards because it's 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 just so special for 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 germany yeah i think it was the first medal since like uh, 1930 1950 like something like that and having something going going back with something just felt so good I believe that. Now, who is the Canadian player that you're least looking forward to seeing because they know you know that they're going to tell you about it? Oh, it's going to be Jack Quinn, 100%. percent. <laughs> he's, he's maybe showing up with his medal there. I don't know. <laughs> and he's your roommate, too. Yeah, he's supposed he to go easy on you. No, but uh, we, we always have, uh, have a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they played a heck of the tournament. Mm -hmm. He played so good as well. So, yeah, good, good, good for him in that regard. Have you spoken to him? Like, how's he doing? He's doing better now, yeah. yeah. I mean, first of all, when I heard that, I was like texting right away. It's, it's obviously sucks because we had, I think, so much so much chemistry also on the line with, with Dylan there. And having him out, um, yeah, it's it's not the best thing to hear, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Sort of non-hockey-ish question for you. I was watching an interview with Alex Tuck last year where he said, you're like the messiest player on the Buffalo Sabres. <laughs> that now, is not true. I have to say, like, I'm a messy guy, so I can appreciate this. That's not true? Um, I mean, I would say I'm a guy, between periods or whatever, I might need, like, a little bit more space just, like, to chill and, and relax, kind of like. Mm -hmm. And he, he's kind of, like, picky sometimes, but he's just he's just kidding. But uh, I would say, like, after practice and, uh, and like that, um, there's no way, like... Like your like, not as soon as place. he said that, I was like, "There's no way. If if somebody's messy, then it's got to be him." <laughs> I can see you're you're upset about this. You feel that you've been unfairly labeled. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, hundred percent. And they obviously they they trust him more because he's older That's or whatever. Right. So I'm just standing there and no one believes me. That's <laughs> you weren't winning that battle, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, so someday Jeff Skinner's going to have to do one of those interviews where he clears up this whole thing. Yeah, that'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> First season for any players, full of uh, teaching moments, learning moments, special moments. What did your first full season teach you? Um, I mean, a lot of ups and downs. I think there were like games where I think I played really good, and then games where I, like. 
I wasn't feeling it at all. But uh, I think just overall, like, yeah, traveling with all the guys there, like, just being on the ice practices, uh, getting to the hotel late. Um, I think it's just learning uh, how to be a pro in, in, in that regard. What's the biggest thing you learned? I think, like, how to get ready for games, like getting my body ready, especially with, like, when you play back-to-backs in, like, different cities or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just to prepare yourself the best way you can. So, Because you played, you know, AHL, and you get the three-and-threes occasionally. What's the difference between a three-and-three three in the AHL and a back-to-back in the NHL? I would say just the distance, how much you travel. Um, I think riding the bus is not as bad as flying with a plane for, like, muscle regards. Mm-hmm. I think that and then, yeah, I think just the time difference sometimes you have. Because in the HL you don't travel. Like Obviously, you, you drive the bus, but mm-hmm. you don't have the problem with time zones and mm-hmm. that bad. So I think that's like one of the biggest differences. Mm-hmm. And when you have a tough night, like Don Granato seems to me like a guy who's like, he's demanding, but he's trying to make it as positive as he can. So when you have a tough night, how does he handle that with you? Yeah, like you said, he's really positive. We 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 watched some video maybe the next day and uh, just shows me shows me the clips he didn't like. But then on the other hand, he shows me like some some good stuff I did in the game, which kind of feels good when you get that from a coach and uh, like teaching points. But then on the other hand, he he makes you feel good as well. I was going to ask you about uh, Don Granado as well. Um, very much a players uh, type coach. I know a lot of you guys really enjoy um, having him behind the bench. When it comes to leadership on the ice, um, you know, I already mentioned Alex talking. We think of Kyle Poso as well. As a young kid coming into the Buffalo Sabres, like who do you look towards? I think Poso was like the, the first guy when I had like a question or whatever. Yeah. I, I always uh, went to him and, and asked him. But uh, I would say guys like Darlene and Thompson are like guys I really look up to. Because uh, they're not even like good in the eyes. They're like so good guys, and uh, you can always ask about. And uh, I think, yeah, I think they've like already with their young of age, uh, such a big leadership group. You know, as as a player, I'm, I I am curious as well. Like uh, when you look at Tage Thompson, that size, being able to handle the puck and shoot the puck and do things at his. I mean, he's enormous but do things that like a 5'11 or a six-foot hockey player normally does. Like what goes through your mind as a player when you watch him? Um, I feel like his hands are the craziest thing because he's so big and he plays like such a short stick and just yeah. like dangling mm. around guys, like spinning, whatever. It's just like, I think it's mind-blowing sitting sitting on a bench, watching that all of a sudden he digs on, uh, around another guy. So many highlights he does like every night and it's it's just so much fun to watch. Do you ever do keep away with him in practice or anything like that? Have you ever tried? Um, yeah, sometimes. But I mean, his body's huge. Yeah. So he, he must be it's good. Kinda, it's kind of tough to get to the puck there. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder what that stick, as you mentioned, it's so tiny of like there's something you thought you could do like well, just to leverage it or something. You, you think you get on the puck, but all of a sudden you get like a little elbow like in the back. So... So it's, it's he's tough. cheating is what you're saying. It's like <laughs> he can't beat you legitimately, so he's got to cheat. The, the 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 two guys that come to mind for 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 that game in practice, um, Pavel Datsuk and Alex Kovalev, were always the two that like you couldn't lift the stick, you couldn't get the puck. Like who is the toughest player you've ever played keep away with? I would say a guy like Kyle Poso, because yeah, uh, he knows exactly where to put the puck. He knows I put it there, and there's no way he can reach that puck. <laughs> 
with with the knowledge he has and uh, the many years he played in the league, he just knows it. You know, I, I'm always curious about you. You took a huge step last year, and one of the young a young player once told me he said the toughest thing to do is you think you've made it, but you've got to remember you haven't. Like, do you kind of go through that mental process in your head? I would say like I'm a really competitive person, so it's hard to like to be like happy. I, I wouldn't say happy, but like content. Yeah, like I I always want to get better every day, every day. So I think um, yeah, I don't know if I will ever like be at the point where I'm like I made it because I always think like next day I can be better, next day I can be better. So I think I'm more on on on, on that part. So that probably helped me a lot. Is it true that you're the first person in your family to play hockey? Yes. So uh, you my, started from like you started from zero. Like there was no one like oh my uncle played, my dad. Played, yeah, my, uh, my, my dad played. started actually after me. So it's it's kind of fun to play right now with him. But uh, oh, do you do you, do you school him? <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. No, he's thanks well, for when, everything, when, Dad. Not gonna make you look terrible. When when we go play and we play like some I don't know like hobby league or whatever, we have like the goal that he scores a goal that day, and uh, my brother plays as well. He's he's fourteen right now. And me and my brother, we just like pass him every puck in front of the net and just hope he scores one time. <laughs> but uh, couldn't manage it this summer. Maybe next one. Uh, that's I awesome. like he makes the effort. Uh, I like enjoy that. the rest of your summer. Good luck with the Sabres Thank this you. year. Thank you, guys. Thanks to JJ Paterka for sitting down with Elliot and I in what's almost become an annual tradition when we go to Europe. Uh, we sit down and we talk to, or in cases like last year, work out with or maybe go shopping with uh, Tim Stutzla. So thanks to Tim for uh, making himself available. As always, I think we all expect another monster season out of this guy. Okay, so that's it for the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We are almost back to a regular schedule, so don't worry. It's going to be similar, if not identical, to last season. Monday drops, Friday drops, all of it. Uh, Taking us out today, uh, a band that was requested by one of our listeners. The Cold Weather Captains is a Toronto-based rock band that originally founded in 2018 as an instrumental trio. After the release of their 2021 EP, City Limits, the band recruited two new members, including a vocalist, Justin DiDonato. Their upcoming Selfies album is set for release September 22nd. With their latest single, here's Cold Weather Captains with Royal Purple. 32 Thoughts the Podcast. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. 
I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.